Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week on Top Lines and Tales, I'm, I'm delighted to have a, a hill farmer from North Wales up near Anglesey and a very outspoken man, breeds chickens, sheep, wild ponies, various things. And there's plenty of those around, but this week, uh, a very different man, I think, because uh, uh, very much a social influencer there, Gareth Wynne-Jones, and, and, and a man who represents the countryside and, and the farming community. Uh, yeah, that's a heck of an intro, to be honest with you. Uh, and hello to everybody. Um, yeah, I'm a farmer, uh, first of hand, and, you know, a father to three, husband to one, and my hashtag is living the dream. And I just like to share my daily routine every single day on social media and, and you know it's been popular over the last 12 months maybe um even more important that people understand about food security seasonality you know how, how we can change the way we eat and what we eat and um yeah the crazy thing is there's a million people following me now every day which is a bit scary <laughs> that is a bit scary a million people is a lot of people and we'll maybe go into that in a second as to the, how you got there and, and, and who actually follows you but as i said you are a social influencer and i'd like to think with my podcast we socially influence influence a lot of people but uh, as i said you really do you, you represent the countryside and, and its farmers and, and you have a, a message normally and, and a voice in, in the community which uh the the, the the agricultural industry really needs so you're a proper campaigner i would say for the for the farming community yeah, listen, I'm like Marmite. Uh, people like me, people <laughs> don't like me. Um, I don't sit on fences. Um, I get it wrong every now and again, and I'm willing to put my hands up in the air and say, listen, <laughs> I messed up there. But the truth is, if we don't have these conversations and these discussions, we will never find the answers and the solutions. So my belief is, you know, opening up the gate and making sure that people know um, where the food comes from, how it's produced, and, and what goes on in the countryside. 84.5% of people now live in cities and towns. Um, they're removed from how the food's produced. They're removed from the seasons, you know, from hearing the first cuckoo to seeing the first swallow, um, you know, to seeing the first leaves come on the trees to the first leaves falling off the trees. They just w expect to walk into supermarkets and shops and everything be there in abundance for a, an affordable price. And then if there's anything wrong with the climate or wildlife around it, Blame the farmer. Farmers at fault. Get the, the rivers, anything, and and it's it's frustrating, especially with all the pressure coming from mainstream media and some portals of social media as well. So, I I'm vocal. I'm not afraid to you know put my ten pence worth into any conversation, and I really do feel that a farmer and the farming community have had a hard time because however you look at it across the board across the world farmers are struggling if you, if you look at what's happening in the netherlands if you look at what's happening in new zealand america the farmers are under a lot of pressure from governments you know big corporations are coming in um producing this processed food which are making millions uh, it, it's very very complicated it's a big story but 
you're going to need a farmer every single day of your life, however you look at it. Because sure. it's not Tesco's, it's not Asda's, it's not Aldi's that are producing that food. Sure. It's a farmer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a farmer at the end of the day, and they're the people that are at the coalface. And they're the people that are taking the brunt of the pressure, you know, and we're still doing the job that is so important, which is feeding the nation. Sure, sure, absolutely brilliant. And, and as I said, you run a, a million people follow you. You've got, a, you've got TikTok accounts there with millions of people all over the world. You've got a YouTube channel, I think, with 800 odd uh, thousand people following you, the following the life of a hill farmer. I, I wouldn't say a simple hill farmer. I think you're probably a bit more than a, <coughs> I, wouldn't insult, I wouldn't insult you with <laughs> it. a lot simple. worse than that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you, you, your, your YouTube goes out there and, and informs people what really goes on in the countryside. And you're not you're not frightened to say it how it is and you say a lot of things that I think many other people would like to say and, and, and as you said you can sometimes get you know, a, a backlash from that but uh, you say it like it is and, and there's a lot more people need to be able to say that and there? a lot of people that, that, that would like to say that and uh, you've obviously got the mouthpiece there to, to get to these people and, and uh, it, it, it's phenomenal that you've got a, a coverage that you've got and let's look back a little bit at how you got that. Yeah, well, I think I'd, I'd be fortunate, you know. Um, in the early 2000s, I was um, involved with a couple of TV productions, um, which brought me to a situation where I thought, wow, this is, this is interesting. Um, and, and developed that skill, you know, I worked with CBBCs, How to Be Epic at Everything, um, and then I did a, a program Ferm Factor, another BBC program about the National Park, which is called The Big Country. And it was weird. One of, one of the, the film guys, really, one of, he, was a, he was a director, um, come cameraman as well, a really nice guy. And he said, well, yeah, I've come across a lot of people. He said, but you're very natural on camera. And I was like, I, I'm not sure what you mean. He says, well, you just, it doesn't seem to phase you. And I thought, well, why should they? <laughs> just the same mm. off camera as they am on camera, and and you know it, it never did. It didn't. When somebody points something in my face, I don't really care. I I just say what I wanted to say. So, um, yeah, and and then I went on a hell of a journey. You know, hell of a journey through the television, working with the BBC, ITV. You know, I've worked with every single broadcaster. You know, from Jack Whitehall to Kirstie Alley with Netflix and things. You know, the opportunities have been brilliant. I've Gareth Edwards up here. We've had Michael Portillo, Jack Whitehall, all these big names. And I've always remembered what my father said to me as a child. You speak to the guy that brushes the road the same as you would speak to royalty. And I've had the opportunity to do both of that, sure. you know, from speaking to Prince Charles at his own um, Welsh abode, to speaking to... Tommy Brush that was in the village here. Um, and I think that's important. You know, we're all people. We're all the same. We're all born to this earth with nothing and we'll take away nothing. But we have to remember that we have to be respectful of each other, but we have to stand up for what we believe and freedom of choice and freedom of speech is very important to me. And I believe that sometimes... We are oppressed, you know, as a nation, as a Welsh nation, I mean, you know, because of our language and the way some of the things that have happened over generations. Um, and we've been a very quiet nation as the Welsh. You know, we're not willing to push ourselves or, or you know, um, showcase ourselves. So 
we've got to get out there. We've got to make sure there's a future for the next generation speaking Welsh. Okay. Um, living off the land and having an understanding of the importance of our history, our heritage, and our way of life. You know, as a countryman. And and that's brilliant. But I mean, it's obviously it's not just Welsh. Now you you far outreach that very quickly. But let's just go back a little bit. I mean, you, you, I said you, you're a hill farmer, and you are. You farm there, I think, with your father. Is it your, your family farm? Been there what two, three hundred years, and and uh, and the family farm is very important, isn't it? But I mean, that your custodians of the land are, and a farmer first, and and, uh, and and you've been there and done it. Really, it's not just like uh, you're out there talking about it like many of these people are. You, you you've uh, you've got the experience first, and and then and the chat later. Yeah, exactly. I walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, it's not it's not somebody that pretends to bring other people in to do things that I do it myself. You know, I shear, you know, I grow my own food, I shoot, I hunt, I fish. You know, I, I, I live that life and I don't pretend not to be something that I'm not. And um, I think that's really important. There's 375 years of history of my family on the same land here. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you start to understand that behind my house is a Celtic hill fort, but then then we've had the archaeologists here over the last fifteen years, and we've got a field called Kaigrai, which means the stone field, and you know it never means anything to you as a child, but now as they've been digging in here, they've they've understood this is one of the first axe factories in the world, okay. going back six thousand years. Right. You know, imagine the history on this land, how people have lived off this land how they've utilised and used everything from the stone to the wood, you know, to the animals, to the to the soil, to the manure. Everything is here for the reason. So for me, you know, I want to look back at what my forefathers did, how they produced food, be more regenerative, be more sustainable, be more seasonal. All these things are very important for us to help the problems we've got on planet Earth sure, at the moment. Sure, sure, and 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 the hill there. You'll tell me the name of the hill because I can't remember, can't pronounce it probably. And you're up there, as I said, up near the sea. I think on the on the north coast of Wales there, and mountains, as you said, you've got mountains up there and families around you. And I don't think you farm so many sheep on the mountains now, but it's all about the ponies. Tell tell me about the ponies you've got up there. Oh, there's, there's still quite a lot of sheep. We still run four thousand sheep okay. here. Uh, the Carnevai mountain range is the biggest open mountain range in England, the world, 27,000 acres. Um, so, yeah, we have the Carnevai mountain ponies, 220 breeding mares left in the world. And they would have run all over Wales and into England, Cumbria at one stage. And they were running at pierces for Celtic times. Right. So this is their last stronghold. This is their Jurassic Park. Mm. This is the last piece they've got left. And, it, 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 it's beautiful, you know, they're mysterious, they're magical, and, um, yeah. And the myths and the stories, King Arthur's last, uh, or summer fort was just down the road from us, um, Pantagelin, or Pantagelin, so the um, Valley of the Enemy, and most probably, you know, they hit the pier for them reasons. I look out over the Menai Strait, straight onto Anglesey, where my life came okay. from. And behind me are the Cadmeadai Mountains up to 3,000 feet. Okay. So, very, very fortunate. Tell me about the ponies then. Do you own those ponies? I mean, are they are they, are they wild ponies? Do you look after them? Are you custodians? How does that work? Do you breed from them and, and, and make money from them? Oh, well, yeah, we wish we made money from them. <laughs> no, they are semi-feral, so uh, they are managed but are owned. Not all of them. There's different areas. But in our village, there's seven families. 
seven very old families that have been keeping these traditionally for hundreds of years. And, uh, you know, they're a big part of our history, Welsh living history. So, you know, they're important to watch after them for the next generation. We gather them once a year. We bring them in, we take a few of the males, uh, the cult balls off, a few of the older males that are going to survive over the winter. So, you know, cut their tails, make sure that we know which ones have been in. So when people see the ones with the long tails, they'll understand they haven't been in for a few years. Because, you know, the operation is massive mm. to, to gather these mountains. So you're never going to get them all in. Yeah. And, you know, like life itself, there is death. And um, with social media now, you get some problems with people like, oh, my God, there's a dead pony. There's one that, you know, you walk down any street in any country in the world, you'll see thin people, you'll see fat people, you'll see sick people, you'll see lame people. Mm. And, and that that is society exactly the same on the mountain okay what we don't do is we don't leave anything suffer so if anything's suffering you know we'll either euthanize it or bring it off the mountain sure. and we we tend to like to see things die naturally because it's part of the ecological balance up there every time an older pony dies up there we should be celebrating its life because it's feeding so many different families from the foxes to the uh, everything that runs up there, you know, um, the birds of praise, everything that feeds off that carcass will be benefiting. And it's sad when some of these people are just so negative towards uh, death on that mountain, and, and they just they just can't see. You know, would you be cleaning the bodies of the zebras? out on the savannas. No, you wouldn't because they know that the buzzards and the hyenas and the lions will be feeding them, feasting off that. And we, ha- we have to be logical and we have to be practical about it. And um, yeah, we try our best. It's, it's a massive operation and financially it's disastrous <laughs> for us. But we, we, we're very lucky. We are a management agreement with Welsh Government that give us a few thousand quid you know, towards the keeping of them. But when, when you see how much it takes, you know, to get 20 or 30 people up on the mountain to gather these ponies, how much petrol, how much, you know, time and effort goes into it, financially, um, no, a long way from being uh, profitable. It's profit. But okay. if his profit, money in the bank, or his profit, living history for the next generation. So we... We have to look at it in, in two ways. That's brilliant. And I can say by that is profit living off the land or is it, is it, is it preserving history? Absolutely right. And, and, and more recently, of course, we've got wildlife problems. We've got an upset in the, in the, the ecosystem with, with, with the likes of badgers and, and people protecting foxes even and what have you. And you'll have to do your share of that around the farm and around the mountains, I suppose, keeping, keeping foxes down because they do the damage. And, and, and it's about maintaining that balance, really. And, and, and hey, let's get on to the badgers. I mean, it's, it's obviously a contentious subject, but... Uh, Let's talk about how, how, how our forefathers or, or generations before us came in and protected the badgers and now the problems that they're, they're causing, uh, Gareth. Well, you know, we have to look at government policy. And again, you know, when government policy comes in and protects uh, certain species, and, and I could see their point at one stage, mm-hmm. you know, protecting them from the badger baiters, which is, which is an awful, awful crime. And, and it needs to be stopped. But when you look at what's happening now, when we're seeing 
the numbers of hedgehogs just falling off the cliff, mm-hmm. number of ground nesting birds just dying off. And it's because there's an overpopulation of a certain species that a lot of these wildlife experts, you know, I don't want to go into names, but some of them work for the BBC, some of them, you know, have got massive voices. They're just absolutely deluded. They're deluded because if anybody with any sense on planet Earth standing on the ground will know that overpopulation of a certain species will cause problems to other things. And that's why we've got TB. That's why we've got so many losses of habitats and wildlife in our countryside is because these creatures are protected. Sure. And can I tell you, I love seeing the odd badger. As a child, yeah, we, we never seen one. We never, ever seen one. Yeah. And we have hedgehogs everywhere here. We have ground nesting birds. We are now at the point we know there is seven or eight sets and we know our land is being infiltrated by these creatures and we are under TB restriction. So we, we were tested in November. We had a inconclusive, two inconclusives. They came back, retested. Um, one had to go again because, you know, it came back as a positive. They went, one had lesions, but uh, they haven't cultured them, so really we're, we're still we're still in limbo. Okay. We've had one then uh, blood test, uh, rebound test, and uh, skin test, where we lost seven cows. One was a really good cow, one of my favourite cows, Hereford cow, heavily pregnant. She had to go, uh, which is very very difficult. But you know, like like that says, you've got to bite the bullet. You've got to come out of the equation, or you could be you know, in a worse situation. So all then went, we tested clear then in May and now 21st of this month, we go for another test. So if you get another clear test, that's two consecutive tests. We then have a six-monthly test and then we can go back to a 12-monthly test. So sure. it's, it's what, mate, honestly, it's a massive strain. Mm-hmm. It's a massive strain. Um, right, and, 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 and I can't tell you what, does to family farms I've got a friend now who's on the crest of losing a hundred cows a hundred cows they're all going to be killed he's got 20 odd 25 or 26 of them heavily pregnant will have to be shot on the yard he's a father of young children you know that's all going to happen on his farm you know during the summer holidays when his children you know People have got no idea of an idea what's going on, and it needs to be addressed, mm. you know, because people are still thinking that Mr. Badger is no, no, he, he has nothing to do with it. Well, I totally disagree. Yeah. And yeah, deer, deer is a carrier as well. You know, wildlife are carriers, but again, it's an overpopulation of a certain mammal that is causing this. And a, and a simple a simple decision that was made, well, I mean, my father used to be in a badger digging gang going back in the 1940s and they would dig badgers out because they had TB and, yeah, and they did cull them and that's, that's right. But I mean, you, you've got to remember probably on a podcast I have here, I have, you know, we're mainly farmers, it's a livestock podcast, most of these guys are all nodding their head agreeing with you. It, it, it's, it, we know the problem between us, my, my listeners know the problem, maybe they don't, the ones overseas, but um, 
there's there's very little we can do because the counter of it is people with ignorance, isn't it? As you said, you didn't name names. I'll name names. Chris Packham, for one. Um, these people are, are brainwashing uh, um, the, the public that uh, the Badger is still a, a great creature. And, and, and some of this should have been done more discreetly, maybe, uh, um, Gareth, that maybe some of these things should have been done. But now they're so protected and there's so much spotlight on the Badgers. Is, is, is there very little we can do? Or, or could we, have we still got a chance to do something to... to, to get this job redressed? Well, I tell you, when people begin to go hungry and they start to see, you know, the problems that are happening, they they will have to change. Everybody has a choice, you know, everybody can make an educated choice and, and, and I don't hide away from that and I think, you know, I'll disagree with you, I think the badger is a nice animal and I haven't got a problem with it but what I've got to bring into this conversation is it's addressing the balance yeah. and this is where the government and people within the policy-making powers of government should be addressing because the science is there. The science is there, and that's what's frustrating. In the co areas, because I, I interviewed Theresa Coffey in the Lala show, you know, I slipped in there with my, you know, for my YouTube thing, and it was, it was quite a surprise. She says, "Oh, aren't you a guy from social media?" She recognised me, but oh bloody hell, that's good. But you know, she she was willing to put her head on the block, you know, and, and I hate going into politics, but I like people like that that are willing to say, "Yeah, it's working, it's working." You know, it's working in areas. So why don't we take that science and plonk it right in the middle of that conversation and say, "Right, let's let's get a mainstream program, BBC, ITV." Channel 5, Channel 4, whatever, just to say the stress and strain on the family community, but not just on that, the stress and strain on wildlife, ground-resting birds, hedgehogs. Let's get some real gamekeepers. Let's get some people that have been involved in this. No, every single one of these people have got a sign, and you, and you know, a declaration that they're not allowed to talk about what they're doing. It's bloody wrong, in my opinion. That is the, so wrong. It is the problem, Gareth. But the problem, again, is getting getting the mainstream media to, to allow that to be viewed. But it's one step further than that, because when you do put that program on, you're getting people to watch it as well. That's the thing. And people will watch that. And people will tune in to, to what they want to watch. And I suppose we go back to the divide in social media, really, the sort of siloed effect where on social media... You're talking to to, to uh, my uh, listeners now who are on the same page as you, and it's about getting the people who aren't on the same page as you to listen rather than to to be op- uh, opposing. And that that is a problem again with with the mainstream TV. If you put a program out like that on there, um, would people watch it? And I suppose that that's there is the rub. Yeah, we've got to open that conversation. Mm. We've got to put that science. We've got to put you know the Brian Mays and the uh, the Packhams. And the George Mob, we've got to put them, you know, with people with scientific evidence that go, well, look, this is what's happened to the curlew. This is what's happened to the hedgehog. And this is what happened when we started to take the number of badges back and the number of TB um, cases came down. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You know, it, it's simple. Yeah. And, and you, can, you cannot argue with science. Mm-hmm. They will bring in their, you know, because... Every scientist will have a price, and I hate to say that. Yeah. Every scientist does have a price. You know, if you're funded by the meat industry, yeah, you're going to say meat's good. If you're funded by the vegan societies, you're going to say, oh, that's the best diet. You know, because that's your livelihood. That's what's paying your mortgage. That's what's putting your kids through school. 
and, and you can't blame people, but you've got to understand that there is a massive problem in this country and the countryside. There is a massive divide and we have to bring people together. We have to start to join. We have to build the bridge from the city to the country. And, and it's difficult, you know, from the fox hunting to the people with the red coats, you know, to the militants and the sabs and, you know, they hate the foxes. And But, you know, I love seeing a fox. Mm. I ain't going to lie. I think one of the most beautiful creatures. If you see a mountain fox at its best, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, we get some springs that we don't lose hardly any lambs. Mm-hmm. And, and they're the years that we go, you know what? Yeah, it's been a good year. So we don't. Mm-hmm. But then you get a year where you're absolutely hammered mm-hmm. and the fox will go into that field and not kill, mm-hmm. not kill, but maim maybe 15 yeah. or 20 lambs, maybe kill about five or six. And, you know, you, you cannot run a business like that. And, and that's what I'm saying, you know, when we address that problem, you know, we'll help the situation. When we seen this on the mountain, when we brought people in to start to, to monitor and, and knock the, the numbers, the grouse came back. Mm. You know, the ground birds came back. Mm. And, and this is where a lot of people look at the, the grouse shoots and think, you yeah, know, well, there's no grouse shooting here, but, you know, they've come back naturally. Mm. But look at that and they, and, and they think, you take them people away from that equation. You take them people away from that land. And I will bet you that place will be fair of nature a lot sooner. Sure. And people people don't get it. They don't get it. Sure. You know, it's the way you face and the way you control the habitats and understanding the land. You know, 375 years, my father short taught me everything. There's, there's a word in Welsh which is called knebbing. And it means hefting, you know, it's yeah. a sense of belonging to an area. When you heft your feet, you know, the salmon spawning mm-hmm. in the spring, you take their new lambs onto the areas. They know where they're going. Mm-hmm. They understand, you know, and, and that's hundreds of years of experience. And, and you cannot take that out of the equation because once it's taken out you can never bring it back sure I totally totally get that I mean we understand about hefting again you have, again a lot of my listeners in Scotland will be nodding their head again you know, hefting is quite a big thing on the Scottish hills too Let, let's just move on a little bit Gareth and, and, and I would say move on but I mean the, the issue comes down to, to education I think uh, Nelson Mandela in his book uh, Long Road to Freedom said well, the only way we can we can bring uh, do away with apartheid and bring these people together is by educating everybody and it's very very hard to get that education across when when we've got uh, too many people paddling and paddling in, in in a different direction and I suppose that's how we, we've got to go back to basics really you, 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 I mean you, you've mentioned before that the, the public is disconnected with agriculture and getting more and more so and that you know that's a tragedy but we, we've got to go back to the beginning really to try and get some education back into the young, younger people and, and how do we do that? Yeah, totally agree. We we need to, you know, it needs to be on the curriculum. We need to take children into farms, you know, on that school curriculum, bring them onto farms. 2015, I did the programme, um, Farmer and the Food Chain, and I went to school in Ely in South Wales, um, and I took them on a farm. And, you know, I was I was so shocked. A lot of the kids hadn't seen animals before. Um, they didn't understand the differences, you know, with cows and beef and lamb and you know sheep and and 
they got it. You know, children are like sponges. They're so, so clever. Mm-hmm. You can hide them away and you can, you, 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 you can pretend that something's not. We are hunter-gatherers. We are in our DNA. And, and I hear a lot of vegetarians and vegans saying, you know, if abattoirs had uh, glass doors and glass windows, you know, like everything would be open. I, I, I still believe that people would eat meat. But what's happened is they've cotton walled a lot of society. They've cotton walled the next generation. So take them on dairy farms, take them on pig farms, but give them a, a, a difference between, you know, an industrial um, massive piggery, which are producing thousands of porkers to an outdoor area. And, and the same with organic milk systems show them because farming comes from one place to another and there will always be cheap food and there'll always be you know that need for cheap food because some people aren't going to be able to afford you know the organic side of things or or, or the free range side of things i'm not saying that but give them children the opportunity to see where their food comes yeah, from yeah. You know, they take them out there take them on a day's pheasant shoot stand them behind the guns on a bike watch them birds fall have an understanding of, you know, what happens to that bird after, you know, taking the the, the feathers off, gutting it, skinning it, breasting it, legging it, whatever, and cooking it. You know, my kids were brought up like that, and they're not afraid to be um, talking about where the food comes from because they understand how it's grown. And, you know, even the crops in the field, from the birds we shoot to, you know, the mice and the rats and the, and the, the rabbits, Everything has a cost. Mm-hmm. Everything we put on our plates, doesn't matter what your diet is, it's vegetarian, vegan, pescatarian, flescatarian, uh, animal, everything's going to have a cost. Something will die for us to put that food on, on our plates. Yeah, well said. And I think we need to make sure that children know the difference on every single diet and give them an educated choice. Let them make the decisions for themselves from a young age. And then, you know, we can move forward. Okay. And we can build a better Britain on our bellies. If we have our kids eating proper food, seasonal food, food that comes from the ground and from the sea, you know, it's either surf or turf for me. Yeah. It's got to be. And that's the natural thing. Anything that's processed and, and thing, you know, we've got a diabetes and, and a obesity problem in this country. It's all to do with the sugars in our food. Sure. And we have to look at the way forward. You know, we need a farming food revolution. If we can have a farming food revolution with the next generation, things could be different. Sure. 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 Let's, let, let's just rein you in a, li- a little bit there, Gareth, just because, as I said before, you're, you're a podcast here where you're preaching very much to, to the converted way. All my listeners are nodding their head, I can see just now. But um, it, it's, it's down to us, isn't it? It's down to us to do that and to make that difference. And I, I suppose I'm asking, really, you know, what can we do? And you already mentioned these things, getting people on farms. I mean, a lot of people now, of course, are starting to take money off the general public, a lot of farmers as, as a, a sideline, if you like, or, or more than a sideline putting in uh, um, shepherd's huts and, and uh, bothies and various things. People could come and stay on the farm and, and getting them there, taking the money off them. But when they get them there, they can't just lecture them and say, right, now you're here, you, you, you need to learn about this. But there has to be a way that we can take that 
interest, which I think is coming further through with people coming to stay on farms and coming, not farms, but coming to the countryside, we have to find a way really where we, when we get there, we can say, well, you know, it's not just a leaflet, but this is, while you're here, have a look at the caves. While you're here, have a look at the, the, the carving, have a look at the lambs being born. Don't just sort of go there and, and admire the mountains. And I suppose that, that's, that's something we need to try and take forward so we can educate ourselves and the younger generation again who listen to this is, is what their what their job is what their task is what what can they do to to bring this to, to to turn this around well every single farmer has got that power in his own hand okay every single farmer has got that power in his own hand because every farmer will have a smartphone that has a camera a video camera that they can you know produce something for the masses to see and for the last 10 years, I've been doing immersive tours. You know, Americans, we do, we're doing 86 this year. So each one of them will have from 20 uh, to 30 people. So there's thousands coming over the years through the farm. And do you know what? It's amazing what these people learn from an hour and a half or two hours on the farm. And they want to learn more. And that's helping as well, you know, sharing that message, understanding regenerative agriculture, understanding seasonality and understanding I'm using the wall on my vegetable plot and how we use the manure and how the ponies are important for the ecological balance. So, you know, it's up to us as individuals to do that. But, but, and this is a big, massive, but it's very important that governments, governments in Scotland, Ireland, Wales and England take this to the next generation, because we can't do that everywhere. You know, I, I'm working on, on a little project called the Farmer Dude again now to bring, you know, uh, a few little short, sharp, educational, funny videos about farming for the younger generation through my YouTube. But, you know, I'm just a, I'm a small voice. This has to come from the people in power. They have to make a difference. And they have to educate the next generation so they understand where food comes from because they have been removed away from that equ equation. And just understand where their food comes. Understand how to cook it from scratch. Stop this processed rubbish. Stop these big corporations, you know, selling this stuff that's killing our children. We have to really address that. And, and I... I mean that passionately. I can, you know, there's no your, your, your passion certainly comes through. Sorry to cut you short. Your passion certainly comes through there. And again, yeah, one of my one or two of my listeners will, will be thinking, uh, um, the, you're in a position where where you now have your YouTube channel, and that does bring you obviously some revenue through 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 that at, at some stage. But you're also a busy man on a busy farm, and uh, a lot of these guys are saying the same that the labour's gone off the farms now. The farmers they work longer hours. They they do more stuff themselves. They drive their own combines. They, they milk their own cows because yeah, that's that's the way it's gone and, and for these people to to go that extra mile for that education it comes at a cost there doesn't it gareth and that's i suppose that that's that's where maybe we should be getting some inter intervention some some help from the government to supply that cost back to us because for every farmer to have that responsibility is one thing but to have the time and and the resource for the financial or time-wise to be able to do that is is, is practically difficult would i say yeah and, and we've got unions as well you know, we've got FUW in Wales and we've got the NFU. Um, you know, these unions, they can do a great job as well. There's a few things that have really worked well for them and, and they should be pushing more. They should be pushing more on that educational side. 
But again, you know, we've all got a phone in our hands. We've all got a phone in our pockets. We've all got social media channels. Uh, if you haven't, get one. Um, and, you know, I built this 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, I, this hasn't just fallen out of the sky. I've worked bloody hard to get where I am. And I've put a lot of hours into it. I've got a guy that runs my social media who is an absolute genius. And that's where I'm very, very fortunate. You know, I'm quite good. So it's a, it's a team effort. My wife works for me as a PA full time. My son's come home now. He's going to be working with me. So, you know, that that generated income from my social media. And yeah, it's okay. It's not it's not massive, but it, it's, it's nice money. It's good money. And it's not easy money because it hasn't been, you know, easy to get where I am. But when you're in that position, I think you need to share that wealth. Yeah. And then you, you can build it bigger. And I think that's where I've seen the opportunity to build this momentum and to bring more people and, and we're looking now you know we're looking at a youtube channel with so many more followers coming from india pakistan america russia it, it, it's bonkers it's absolutely bonkers but what i had here um yesterday was was just mind-blowing so we had this um little group of americans here yesterday for a tour and i didn't understand you know i just do my exactly do with everybody there was a guy there who who was a billionaire, mm. an absolute billionaire, very down to earth, and he had been brought up out in Pakistan on a small farm, moved to America, built a nutritional business, sold it, you know. But and do you know what he said to me? And I love this. He said, "We've got so much in common." And I'm thinking, "Wow, mm. that is such a nice thing to say." But but we go back to brass packs. That that guy was carrying the water to his house. He had an outside toilet. You know, he he worked really hard. Very very driven. Very intelligent guy. But we can all do a little bit to help what we need to go forward as an industry. Right. Because if we don't. If we don't, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that, and, and and I totally hear what you're saying there. And it is, we do all have this. I've said the same. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, we've all got the smartphone does can do a lot of things. A lot of people are doing that, and social media does that. But uh, your friends with with Cammy Wilson, I know as I am at the the sheep game, and Cammy's done a similar thing. Maybe you know not to not a, a, going as long as you, and sort of started fairly small, and he got that going. But I mean, he said you know, social media can be a dangerous place, can't it? Because what you, you can go down the channel, and social media becomes very siloed, I think, if when you get on, on, on certainly on Facebook groups and such like, where you've got a lot of people that were all singing, they're all you know, speaking off the same tune, and the other guys on the other side are speaking a different tune, and, and the two don't come together, really. And, and, and if they do come together, yeah, the retribution comes fairly hard, doesn't it? I mean, I imagine you'll get as much good mail, hate mail as you'll get good mail. You'll certainly get some anyway from, from some of these bodies, and, and it's an unregulated place, but uh, could be a nasty place, too. Yeah, listen, we've had three sets of death threats. We had the police found here for three weeks. Um, the truth is, it's a double-edged sword. It's, you know, you need big shoulders and uh, skin like a rhinoceros, but it is what it is. I've, I've lifted my head above the parapet, so I've got to take both ends of it. Um, and, and I do, you know, and it's frustrating. I, I tend not to be really bothered about what they say about me, but when they say anything about my family... That seems to hurt a little bit more on my friends. And, um, you know, that annoys me. But you you're, you have to be hard-faced. You have to be, you know, willing to take that or, or don't 
don't get on board. Sure. And and sometimes the hardest ones are, you know, people within the farming community, and you get quite a few of them. And I, I really get frustrated with them. I really feel, you know, we're a small minority. And if we can't pull together and work together, well, we're absolutely cream crackered. Mm. And, and that, that does frustrate me. You know, I'm not going to beat about the bush. We'll never agree on everything and we'll never be friends. But when you do it publicly to somebody, you know, when you when you go and try and bring somebody down publicly, um, that is hopefully, well, you know, hopefully trying to do the right thing for the industry. And I'm not always right. Uh, like I said, I'm, I get a lot of things wrong and I post things that maybe I shouldn't. But, you know, the truth is, my heart's in the right place, you know. Um, I'm a nice enough guy. Um, I can I can watch after myself. I'm not afraid of going out there and being vocal. But the, but the truth is, if we're not in this together, we are going to sink, and we will sink a lot quicker. The more we can bring in, and you can see what's happened in the Netherlands, you can see how they join together to produce their own political party and be so successful. You know, when you have the people and they come together, you've got power. Mm. And we need to do that within our farming and countryside community, from the uplands of Scotland to the lowlands of Devon. You know, we're a small group of people and we need to pull together as one yeah. to go forward sure. Sure. in all, all lines of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Because we are food producers, we are custodians, but at the end of the day, we have to make a living and we have to pay our bills. Sure, sure. I get that. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I live in France for, for a good part of the time. And, and uh, it, in France, definitely the farmers pull together a lot more than British farmers. Always been the family farmers, as, as for the fantastic backbone that it is of the agricultural industry, the family farm has been its own worst enemy when it comes to going to the market and bidding against your neighbours for the for the same sheep instead of getting together and buying the sheep together like they would over here. That, I mean, that, that that's that's always happened. but it, it, And it's so it's something that is changing i think i think farmers are becoming a lot more together and obviously with more recently with with maybe i'll just move the subject on a little bit here and um, gareth more recently with the covid thing and, and uh we're starting to look more at the, the mental health side of it now and people being isolated on family farms and and and, and not working together the, the, the mental health thing has started to take its toll and raising its head as well and, and, and bringing people back together and i think that's 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 got to be a good thing there's got to be a lot more farmers looking after each other than maybe they used to oh definitely definitely um, I think there's a lot more talk about mental health, which is great. You know, um, I'm helping quite a few mental health charities and I share a lot of stuff and uh, I talk quite openly about it. You know, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. Um, I'm quite strong mentally or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But, you know, I've had a Saturday night here two months ago talking somebody down from committing suicide, you know. Um, I'm going to film my wife having a glass of wine and, um, my social media went and you know now and again you know that somebody's serious I had been talking to him before and um, yeah we had a long conversation um, and, it, and it's quite scary it's quite scary because you know you're put in a position that um, you wouldn't want to be but you know I'm not trained to do anything but I was lucky that I was in a position that I knew where to point him in the right direction yeah. and who to contact sure. and then people were there sure. and you know, they helped him, and that and that's that's very very important that we're able to share that because 
you know, sharing the load, talking about it, because there's major, major issues within, you know, our industry from paperwork to government policies to price cutting from supermarkets, you know, to pressure. Uh, and we see it across the board. And sometimes, you know, it's that straw that breaks the camel back and, and, and that, you know, it's that cow that dies in the morning that's enough to take people off the edge or, or the wife says, I'm leaving you and, you know, financial difficulties. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always somebody at the end of the phone and there's always somebody there to help. So, you know, never, ever give her in. Never give up, you know, always ask somebody or look for that solution because there is somebody out there for you. I think you're right. And and, and it is about, it's about the, the farmers helping each other as well and, and things like RSABI in Scotland and, and Farmstrong. And if you come across Farmstrong, a New Zealand outfit, they're now setting themselves up in Scotland and going to spread across the country and yeah, did fantastically well in, in, in New Zealand and, and going global now. But it, it brings farmers together to do farmers like yourself, but farmers like everybody really just to, to put their, their bit in there and just to, you don't, you can't can't help everybody but you can help you can help somebody and i think that's yeah the farming community as i said is is coming together and i think bringing that farming farming community together with the with the mental health side of it and and, and again as you say bringing the farmers together to to fight the fight as it was for, for our own industry so i think maybe the two go a little bit hand in hand there uh, gareth oh 100 everything goes in hand in hand that's that's life you know and when we can come together to work together, we can help each other. And that's so, so important going forward. It doesn't matter what you are or what you do or what walk of life you are. Somebody will have a bad day every now and again. And somebody will be, you know, in need of a chat or, um, you know, uh, a hug or a kiss or a cup of tea or a pint. You know, all these things are relevant. So never give up on anything and always be there for somebody brilliant brilliant well that's that's certainly sound advice and yeah that's ticking the box for all of us i think listening to that and again i hear your passion comes through in the same way that that mine does on that one and uh, there's a few other subjects i'd like to talk to you about carbon right environmentalist rewilding there's a lot of things we could go on all night here and and you'll have you'll have the same message on all of those really and 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 a well-informed man too but i mean all those things are being looked at and they're looked at from both sides but yeah where do you see our industry heading now i know it's easy to say well if we don't do this uh, um yeah we're doomed we're not doomed yeah where where do, where do you see we're going are, are we winning this fight are we are we doing enough now to to uh to to, to bring bring the fight back in, into our own, own own corner yeah definitely i think we're at a crossroads um you know we we need to be looking at food waste within this country one third of the food that we produce goes to waste we've got thousands of people queuing up in food banks there's some problem there definitely but again I think what we need to be doing is bringing scientists onto farms to do proper carbon catchments on their farms and understanding how we're doing a good job not a bad job and you know I, I've been doing a programme for well I did a programme for S4C when I went down to Cornwall um, onto this little farm little council farm onto the Bannerman project where they were capturing methane on that farm and running a new Holland tractor, which was an amazing achievement. But not just that, they were running a generator that was milking the cows off the poop of them cows, you know. And and, and again, it's a constant circle. We've got the technology, we've got the innovation, we just need the help 
from government and from you know farming unions and the industry we all need to work together to find these solutions and they're there they're there you know we we could use that methane then to heat greenhouses to grow more um tomatoes and cucumbers in this country instead of using fossil fuels you know there is ways and means of us doing it but you know it's going to take money it's going to take science it's going to take uh, cooperation so you know i'm always positive my glass is always overflowing and i'm always looking for solutions and uh, yeah i'm working on a few projects now with some amazing people and i mean really top scientists from across the world and it's a you know it's such a great place to be so if you'd have asked me this question 10 years ago i think maybe i would have been saying oh, i don't know where we could go but i think we need food security in this country. We need to be looking at more seasonal food production and looking back at what our forefathers did and the way that they grew so much food without artificial fertilizers. And, and there's ways and means, you know, working with a lovely company down in Hereford using seaweed on the farm now, we're using it. And you know what? It's working a treat. Everybody has to look for solutions and we can look for these solutions naturally i've been working with with a, a vineyard in conway where it's going to be the first vineyard in the world to be totally under wall you know mm. using that as a mulch right. to keep the sun off the, the the soil in the summer to keep the warmth in the soil during the winter keep the weeds down all these things you know we can adapt we can utilize we can add value to the products we've got so yeah yeah let's go forward and again build a better britain on our bellies farming food revolution these are all key words you might think i'm like you know pushing these things but they are so important for people to understand because we have been sleepwalking into food shortages you can see what's happened in the ukraine you can see how they're pulling the plug in the netherlands new zealand's the same America, you know, a lot, a lot of the European countries, the farmer is under a lot of pressure and we have to fight back and make sure that the consumer and customer understands that we are the primary producer. Once you get that out there and people start to really realise, you see what happens in the Netherlands, people went, bloody hell, we could be in trouble here if we don't watch after our farmers. You know, because that's that's where, and it's not scaremongering, it's making sure that people have an educated choice and they understand how food's produced and where it's produced. I totally, totally get that. And the only one thing I'd probably come back with that, of course, is that, that as we make our food uh, um, better and eat local, you know, buy local, uh, um, breed local, obviously different animals for different areas, it, that does come at a cost, doesn't it? And the price of food is, is, is definitely too cheap uh, within the UK compared to what it was you know, many years back. And that does come at a cost. And again, that's a hard battle to fight when you're fighting against somebody that says, well, I've, I've got a low income, but I still want my holiday and my pints of beer and my, and my carryouts what have you that they're going to have to pay more for the price of food but i think that's just a natural fact and we've got it we've got to again educate people that that's something they're going to have to do in the next generation yeah that's a massive challenge uh, and i will say cheap food comes at a cost mm -hmm. cheap food comes at a cost of the environment cheap food comes at a cost of the animal and it comes at a cost of the farmer and that and that's the bottom line mm -hmm. you know we've been fortunate that food's been subsidized by government after the second world war with the cap and um 
you know, things are changing now where it's gone more environmentally based. And that that's government policy, you know, um, as business people, we have to adapt to that situation and make sure that, you know, our, our businesses are stable and they are, you know, paying the mortgages and paying the rent and whatever the problems you've got at home. You know, maybe Mrs. Thompson with three children in inner city Birmingham has got 10 times as many problems as you. And she's got, you know, every single meal is going to be a headache. So we, we have got challenges, no doubt in my mind. And we have to keep food to be affordable, but it has to be environmentally friendly. And I think it has to be regenerative, but I do agree it's been too cheap for too long. And that's been pushed by supermarkets and it's been pushed by government. So, you know, how do we readdress that? That's maybe a question for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. And it's been a fantastic podcast. It has been, Gareth. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. And I said, bumped to you briefly in, in the, at the Rowell Show. And by, by the way, great coverage that you did of the Rowell Show. That was absolutely uh, superb there. I watched some of that. You got in amongst all the people. And uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you, Gareth. And you're a busy man there out in the media um, doing there. But uh, you're fighting the fight on all our behalves, I think. And uh, I'm proud to be part of that. Hey, thank you very much, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys the podcast, and good luck to see you in the future. Gareth, all the best to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to that highly interesting episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. And uh, as Gareth is a sheep farmer, let's talk about sheep for a second. And if uh, your tups and gimmers are needing a, a final bloom before going to the sales, so why don't you consider using some of Harbro's Olympic sheep mash? Yes, that's Olympic sheep mash. So that's how good it is. And widely used and easy to feed, and it helps increase appetite just when you need it most there, uh, just before those sales. So, so Thanks very much to Harborough and uh, please get in touch with your local harbour representative to see what else they can do for for you on your nutritional requirements and uh, look them up on your local representative or look them up on social media and while you're there on social media don't forget to look out our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs and other interesting things to back up this and previous episodes. <laughs>